If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open them up to Numbers chapter 21. I will be reading uh, verses 4 through 9 of chapter 21. As Carl indicated, we will be talking about the fiery serpents. And this is from the King James Version. And they journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh, looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man... When he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. What to do when the snake bites? I always try to come up with an interesting title, and sometimes I, you know, I guess this is. Nothing to be necessarily proud of. I sometimes spend more time on trying to find a title than I do on the whole sermon itself. I may do, put the sermon together and think about a title for several days. And uh, I don't ever try to send a title to, to Carl that's a, in order to stump him or anything. But I do send titles sometimes and I kind of grin a little bit when I hit send. You know, but he does a great job. I haven't got him yet. Now the events recorded in our passage this morning occurred near the end of the 40 years of uh, Israel's uh, journey in the wilderness. God had delivered the nation from Egyptian bondage uh, 40 years prior to that. And it took them two years to reach the banks of the Jordan River where they refused to go in. Now during that time, God had given them... uh, the law from Mount Sinai. He uh, taught them how to properly worship Him. And again, when they got to the Jordan River, they refused to go in. They had everything they needed. God had provided it for them, and they just simply refused to go in. And because of uh, their refusal to enter into the promised land, they rebelled against God, and God sentenced the entire nation to life in the wilderness once again. And it was there every member of that rebellious faction remained until they died in the wilderness except for uh, uh, Caleb and Joshua. They were the only ones, and you remember the account, twelve spies were sent in to spy out the nation and ten gave a bad report and Caleb stood up and said, let's go up and take it because we're well able to do it. So Caleb and Joshua, being faithful to God, they were allowed to enter into the promised land. But even during this time of going back into the wilderness for an additional 38 years, God was faithful to Israel. He took care of Israel. 
though the same could not be said about the nation. Notice some of the things he did. He fed them with manna from heaven. He led them from place to place. They were never lost in the wilderness. And he protected them from their enemies. But they grew tired of the wandering through the wilderness, trying to make their way back to the promised land. They had grown tired of that. Of course, punishment is not an enjoyable thing. I don't know what they thought or what they expected, but they had grown tired of God's plan. They had grown tired of the manna. They were tired of Moses. And they were unhappy, it seems, with every aspect of life. They were just a miserable group of people. Now, verse 4 tells us that they had journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now they were forced to go that route because Edom had refused permission to them to cross their land. So they had to compass around it. And they had to go through some very tough terrain. It was desert land. It was terribly harsh. It was mountainous, rough, and desolate. And they didn't enjoy the process of going through that area. In other words... They were not pleased with the manner in which God punished them. And I don't know why they would be. They weren't pleased with anything else. And so they didn't like the punishment either. Now this word discouraged carries with it the idea of being shortened. You look up the word from which we uh, translated, from which we get the word discouraged, and it means to be shortened. Well, their tempers were shortened. Their patience was shortened. Everything about the process was getting on their nerves, and they just wanted to be out of the wilderness. And they didn't care what it took to do that. Now their frustration, though, led them to complain about virtually everything God did for them. If He didn't do it, they complained. If He did it, He didn't do it right. Now these are people speaking to the Lord of heaven. Now, notice some of the things that they complained about. They complained about their freedom from slavery, didn't they? Oh, God and Moses led us out into this desert to to die. Oh, we could have died back in Egypt. They complained about the food God had provided. They wanted that food they'd grown accustomed to back in Egypt. The leeks and the the breads and the fish and all of that uh, those things. They complained about the way that God provided water to them. They didn't think He was doing an adequate job. And then, of course, this miraculous food given to them by God, it was a food they did not have to work to get. It was a food that kept them healthy and strong. And it was a gracious gift from God, but they became bored with it. They were tired of eating it. And despite all that God had done, the complaints against Moses turned into complaints against God Himself. So, in response to that complaining, he sent among the people these fiery serpents. And that demonstrated to them how good they had it, even in their punishment. Now, along with the punishment, we see throughout the history of humankind in their relationship with God, he has always provided a way of pardon. And that's just the wonderful truth about God, isn't it? In this case, is no different. God provided a punishment, but then He presented a way of pardon. Now, 
The passage this morning describes for us the awfulness of sin and its consequences. But it also illustrates to us the love that God has for His creation and the intention of His heart that all people would be saved is clearly seen here. Now, the passage is ancient, but it describes for us exactly the same thing that Christ did for us when He gave Himself on the cross to be murdered. When speaking to Nicodemus, Jesus said this, John three, fourteen. And as Moses was lifted up the serp, as and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. In the same way that sin destroys the lives of all people, the nation of Israel found themselves in what appeared to be a very hopeless situation. They had been overcome with these fiery serpents. Now let's keep in mind, when they left Egypt, they had about two and a half million people with them. That would be a lot of serpents to have to go throughout the people and cause the havoc that obviously it caused. They were bitten by the serpents. They began to die. They began to cry out. And that's what happens when the snake bites, isn't it? What happens when someone gives themselves to sin? When someone allows themselves to be overcome with sin or they succumb to sin? It brings about death every single time. Now, it can be physical, but it is always spiritual unless they come out of it, right? Now, we're going to notice, and we see it in the passage, the people could not devise for themselves a treatment for this problem. They didn't have a treatment for the fiery serpent bite. We remember when uh, Paul was shipwrecked and he reached for a piece of wood and a serpent grabbed onto his hand and bit him and he grabbed the serpent and threw it into the fire. All of the natives said he's a dead man. They didn't have a cure for this serpent bite. But of course by the power of God Paul did not die. But these people were suffering and they were dying. They could not cure this serpent bite. The serpent's or a type of sin. We can't cure sin. Not on our own, right? God has the answer for sin. So this morning, we want to make an application to the events in Israel's history. We want to look at this account of their complaining against God and His sending these serpents and then Moses raising up this brazen serpent. And when we look at that, we will come to the understanding of what to do when the snake bites. And we're going to begin with this problem that not only Israel had, but everyone had. It's the aspect of sin in general. That's our first point. Israel had succumbed to sin. They had given themselves to it. They weren't fighting against it. They had just simply, as it were, given up and had allowed themselves to fall into a state of sin just like the majority of the world has done today and will do. Now Israel had <clears throat> excuse me Israel had rejected God in almost every way possible. Everything that God did for them they did not appreciate it and eventually we see here that they rejected the very person of God. They weren't just complaining against Moses any longer. That's bad enough. They were complaining against the God of heaven himself. They rejected the person of God. They rejected the promise of God. The promise was, or, or the statement was, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? 
They rejected God's provisions for them. For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And they rejected the prophet of God. They spoke against Moses. They weren't the least bit ashamed to lift up their voice and decry, Mo- and decry Moses. And neither were they to God. Now, we look at that and we say, what, what's wrong with a group of people who watched God deliver them out of Egypt? They crossed the Red Sea. The uh, Egyptians' military was destroyed in the sea. And here they are in this wilderness, and they're causing a problem, and they're speaking ill toward God right to His face. Well, sin causes a person to act irrationally. They'll do something and everyone standing around will say, that cannot be a good idea. And all along, the person involved thinks it is the best idea they had ever uh, come up with. Now, one thing Israel was expert was expert in was complaining. That, we see that in their rejection of God. Now, They rejected God on numerous occasions. Numbers 11 verse 1, And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. Numbers 14.10, And all the children of Israel murmured. Numbers 16.41, But on the morrow all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured. And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Numbers 17.12, Now those are just, I believe, four accounts. If you read through the book of Numbers, I think there are at least ten where the children of Israel murmured against God. Now it was bad enough Israel had rejected their leaders, but now they're directly rejecting God. And they began to complain. They rejected the person of God. They rejected the promise of God. What had God told them? I'm going to bring you up out of Egypt and I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey, and then they say, oh, God led us out into this wilderness simply to die. It wasn't good enough for us to die back in Egypt. That's arrogant and blasphemous, isn't it? Paul said this, Romans 3 verse 4, God be true, but every man a liar, meaning God always tells the truth. And they were rejecting His promise. They rejected His word. They didn't believe Him. They called God a liar. God holds His Word in a very high uh, uh, esteem. Excuse me. <clears throat> and notice what the psalmist declared. Psalm 138, verse 2. He said, I will worship toward the holy temple, and I praise Thy name for Thy loving kindness and for Thy truth. For Thou hast magnified Thy Word above all Thy name. So they rejected His person, they rejected His promise, they rejected His provision. They had the audacity to claim that there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. Now when we look at that statement, loatheth this light bread, I didn't always understand what that meant. And I thought it was just simply a descriptive term of the bread. Well, let's look at these statements made. Loatheth, that means to be disgusted by. They were disgusted at the very sight of this bread. God had graciously given them manna from heaven, and it disgusted them. They didn't want any part of it. Now, this word light does not describe its appearance. I'd grown up my whole life hearing about light bread. That's not what this intends. The word light means worthless. 
This word, translated light, means worthless. This is a disgusting, worthless bread. Get it out of my sight. I'm sick and tired of it. They rejected God's promise. If a person rejects God, he will reject God's spokesman. Jesus warned. He said, John 15, beginning with verse 18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. He also warned this. Paul did. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Yea, and all that will will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we see that Israel rejected God. And we ought to be able to see the application today. It's happening all around us, right? They were made... They were disgusted and sickened at the sight of this worthless bread God was keeping them alive with, this great gift from heaven. And people treat the Lord the exact exact same way today. He's the bread of life. People are disgusted with our Lord and they view Him as worthless. We see that they rejected God. And when you reject God, there's always a result. And in this case, he sent these fiery serpents. We notice that the punishment was deserved, and it was deadly. For the wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. Sin holds power over people, doesn't it? If we allow it to. And sin is just like a snake. It's always ready to strike. I remember growing up, I would hear my grandparents talk about a snake. I saw a snake out wherever in the woods and it was quiled up. I thought, what is that? My whole life growing up, a quiled up snake. Well, I come to realize as I got grown, they were trying to say coiled. It was coiled up. And so I kind of got in the habit of saying, talking about a quiled up snake, you know. But anyway, that's how sin operates. Sin's always ready. And of course, sin is given human attributes so that we understand what it can do, right? We choose sin as people. Sin doesn't force itself on us. Sin is not a person. It doesn't have abilities. It simply is, right? And so, but we we see the comparison here. And we see the result of the sin with Israel. The serpents were sent in. They were being destroyed. But that's what sin does to everybody. Sin will destroy life. Now this word fiery describes the burning effect. This was a common viper in the Middle and Near East. I saw one on one occasion while I was in India. It was very long and it's, in, its, in its descriptive terms talks about the initial burning as the person is bitten. It injects very poisonous venom into the, into the person. It burns at the sight. The, the color of the skin begins to turn from, from a white to a red to a dark red to a purple to a blue. The sight swells up. There's no cure. At this time, there was no cure for it. And it wasn't a quick death. It took one or two days for the poison to work its way through the body and finally for the person to succumb to death. So it was not a pleasant experience. All the while that's going on, the person becomes nauseated. The, the, the venom begins to break down the capillaries and 
the the blood passageways in the body and the and the person begins to lose blood. That's ultimately how they die. They bleed to death. They'll lose blood through nosebleeds and through bleeding from the mouth and the eyes. It's a terrible experience. Suffering follows sin every single time. The song or, or Solomon said Proverbs 13, 15, The way of the transgressor is hard. The result of rejecting God is hard. Those who are lost in sin receive the punishment they have coming, and it is commensurate with their violations. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Now, contrary to the way of Satan, Jesus said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven thirty. But why is it that people usually choose the difficult and the hard way? I don't know, but that's what happens. Now, these serpents represent sin. And sin will kill just as the serpents killed. It seems the world has come to reject this idea of hell. They reject the idea of hell. They, they've, become to, they've come to reject the idea of God. But they talk a lot about hell, don't they? People in the world talk a lot about hell, but they use it as a byword. And if you talk to them about hell, they become upset, don't they? But the reality of hell is just that. It's a reality. Jesus spoke more about hell than He did anything. And here's what sin does for a person. Sin causes the individual to be indebted to Satan. And unless that debt is paid, well... We have hell to look forward to. Of course, Jesus paid the debt for sin. He paid the debt for us. We couldn't pay it and so and live, so He paid it. Paul said Jesus would come in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who don't know God and who refuse to obey God. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8-9. through 9. And now that's what happens when the snake bites. See, we have to be careful. When we look at the things that happened to Israel, we can make that application. But it's also very important to know with sin, God wants there to be sorrow, not just physical sorrow. We're not talking about just sorrowfulness because something happened. But in order to move past the sin, there must be sorrow. And we see that in the idea that uh, Israel was convicted of their sin. So they went from sin to sorrow, and that's our second point. Now, being sorry is never pleasant. Even when there is godly sorrow, it isn't pleasant. Because godly sorrow, in fact, godly sorrow probably is the most hurtful of all sorrows. Because the person is recognizing the sin that has hurt everyone involved, especially God. Now again, we're not talking about dead, uh, uh, worldly sorrow, that leads to death. We're talking about this godly sorrow, Second Corinthians 7 Verse 2, now there are only two options when the snake bites. You can sit down and die, or you can get up and do something about it. Now the reader here sees conviction on the part of Israel. They came to Moses and they said, we've sinned. And I believe them. I believe that was a true repentance, or else God would not have given them an avenue of salvation, right? They said they had sinned, and if they hadn't have said that, they would have never been saved from the snake bite. And we see people coming to that godly sorrow and wanting to be forgiven. And that godly sorrow leading one 
to repentance. We see that in Acts 8, 24, when Simon the sorcerer sinned and, and he wanted Peter to pray for him that he could be forgiven. Well, this conviction leads to confession, doesn't it? And that's very necessary. And they realized, Israel did, that their only hope was in God. They said, we have sinned. They needed God to help them. And because of that, Moses prayed. Now, the one who is convicted and the one who confesses realizes they've wronged God. They realize they've wronged others and they realize that they've wronged themselves. And we see that in the process of the plan of salvation. We come to the understanding of who God is, of who Jesus is, right? I believe in who Jesus is and who He said He was. The idea of that leads me to want to understand what He's about and lead me to the point of repentance, wanting to change my my lifestyle. We see all of that happening right here. That repentance leads one to the confession... I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, the confession in the Old Testament is different than the confession in the New Testament. The confession in the Old Testament was that confession of sin. Now, Christians have to do that, but not in initial obedience. That confession is, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Acts 8, verse 37. And then they do something, right? That leads us unto salvation, Romans 10, 10. And of course, we're buried with Christ in baptism to wash our sins away. Romans uh, nine verses uh, Romans six verses three and four, and Acts twenty two sixteen. Now, there are two types of conviction that happen in a person's life. You recall when the woman was caught in adultery, and the men gathered her up and and took her to Jesus. John eight verse nine, and it says in that statement that they were convicted by their conscience and they began to simply walk away, and Jesus was left alone. Now, that's a worldly conviction, isn't it? They knew they had done wrong. They weren't willing to do anything about it. And then there is the conviction of the person who is led to repentance. See, we see the sin, and the the desire on God's part is that there's sorrow. And we see that in Israel here. And then that is at the point when a person can be led to salvation. That's our third point. But before their salvation, there's got to be guilt. There has to be guilt. Now, we're not to carry that guilt with us in the sense of allowing it to keep us from being faithful. But we are to have guilt, and that leads us to wanting to do something about it. And I think we see that in Israel. The bronze serpent that Moses fashioned reminded them of the sin they had committed. And that was one of the purposes of it, right? He made this... He lifted it up on a pole, and just like uh, Moses created this serpent and lifted it up on a pole, Jesus was lifted up on the cross. And that's what He told uh, Nicodemus that needed to be done, right? I have to be lifted up. Now, Paul made a mention in Galatians 3, verse 13. He said, Cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree. And so when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, you know what it reminds us of? It reminds us of the sin that caused that to happen. There's guilt there. Now, we're to have a clear conscience when we obey the gospel. And that's what God wants. But that doesn't mean we forget our past. Not in the sense that we allow it to impede our future. But Paul always remembered 
that he persecuted the church of God, and he called himself the chief of sinners because of that. Now, he had a clear conscience in knowing that his sins had been forgiven, but it still hurt him to know what he had done, right? Let's read the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, John 3, beginning with verse 14. He said, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that come down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When we read about Christ being put on the cross, it ought to remind every one of us in the world what put Christ there. But we need to also remember the act of Him being raised up brought about the possibility of salvation. And we see that with the guilt Israel had, it led to the grace of God. Paul affirmed, Ephesians 2 beginning verse 8, Even when we were dead in sins, hath, uh, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Without grace there is no salvation. Without grace there is not even a discussion of being saved. God did not do a few things when these serpents came in. Do you notice that God extended grace to Israel, but you know what He didn't do? He didn't get rid of the serpents. He didn't take them out of the way. He didn't instantly heal the people just simply because they had guilt. Now, He offered them grace, and by offering them grace, He allowed them one way to be saved. When we read John 14, verse 6, we we look at Christ. Now, the brazen serpent is a type of Christ. There was one way for them to be saved. And there's one way to get to the Father, John 14, 6, and that's through Jesus. Here's something else we notice about God's grace. He didn't force the people to do it. He didn't force them to look on the serpent. He gave them an opportunity to look on the serpent when the snake bites. And they had to choose to do that, right? So many people will have us to believe that as long as we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, that's all we have to do. Now that didn't happen in the wilderness, did it? God told Moses to create a brazen serpent. He said, put that up and whoever looks on it can be saved. Now think again, let's go back to the number. Two and a half million people, two and a half to three million people walked out of Egypt. Can you imagine that there was a a real convenient place amongst those people to put that brazen serpent so everybody could just look up as easily as they could and see that thing? Maybe a few people. But you're talking about two and a half million people. Do you imagine that the people who were bitten by the serpents were laying inside their tents and and others were caring for them? Sure. So what about the one who lifts up his voice and, and... speaks to Moses saying, Moses, I can't get out of the bed. Moses, I can't walk to the door of the tent. What about me? Well, you better find a way to crawl yourself over to the door of that tent and get into a position to have a vantage point to look at that serpent or you're not going to live. God didn't take the serpents away and He didn't force people to look at the brazen serpent. But He placed it before them and He said, if you'll go look at it, you can be saved. 
That's how God's grace operates. He's not going to force it on anybody. And that's exactly what Jesus expects from us today. He's given us a very easy way to become Christians. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water. And if we overcome and we remain faithful, we'll be saved in the end and we'll get to heaven. That's what He expects. Paul said that we're saved by grace through faith. And that faith is the same faith we read about in Hebrews 11 and uh, James 2. It's a working faith. Those people had to work their way over and get a look at that serpent. So what to do when the snake bites? Well, we have to acknowledge sin. We have to be sorrowful. And then, God has provided for us a way to salvation. Now, I can't emphasize enough. Feeling sorry does not save one. It does not mean that that's all we have to do. Being sorrowful leads one to the process of being saved. God places before all people a choice. Moses placed the same choice before Israel prior to going into the uh, the promised land. Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, he said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live forever. Some of us may need to choose today. We may need to choose initial salvation. Like making the way to the serpent, you have to do something. We talked about that. We have that opportunity today. Some of us may need to choose to come back. And just like those who were bitten by the fiery serpents, there was something they had to do. And so in the same way, those who have obeyed the gospel, who fall away, they have to repent of those sins, acknowledge that it's wrong, confess those sins, and ask God to forgive them. What to do when the snake bites? That's, a, that's something that we all need to understand. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.